Hello and welcome to the Anything Goes Hokkaido audio and video podcast. I am Delena. I'm Shinya. And today we have a special guest with us. It's Matt Bigelow, all the way from Canada and Tokyo. Hi, Matt. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on today.、Uh, why don't you give us a really quick introduction so everybody knows what you're about? Sure. Well, I'm unemployed. <laughs> uh, I'm, Good, I'm stop. A, Good stop. I'm a podcaster, a, a musician, and a teacher in Tokyo. I've been working in the private sector since about 2008,、uh, working in, with interpreters and then in the telecom industry, setting up an AI school for one of the leading telecom centers in Japan.、Um, yeah, I, I lived those two lives for a while. I was doing a lot of Uh, teaching AI engineers in the, in the mornings and afternoons, and then playing Jewish klezmer music in the underground cafes of Tokyo at night. A very strange reality to find myself in. But now I'm、uh, preparing to move on in my life a little bit and、uh, stabilize. And that's why I more or less turned to podcasting. You can do it anywhere, anytime, and put it out there. And you don't have to, I don't know, live some sort of parallel life, you know? So there we go. I guess that's it. Wow, that's a, quite a long list of activities and、uh, professions. So,、yeah. uh, what brought you to Japan initially? I had a lot of student loan debt that I needed to pay off. And、uh, I'd studied journalism and、uh, writing, and technical writing in university. And I always wanted to do that. Uh, when, uh, but the market was very limited where I was from, in, in cent- not central Canada, but western Canada.、Uh, you could do some things, but you couldn't. You couldn't make a living and pay off student loans. At least I didn't manage to. So I found a, a teaching an English job where I was able to pay off those loans. And then I got a better job and better money. And、uh, I was working with、uh, an interpreting school dealing with CNN and BBC news materials and video materials.、Um, then the school closed in 2015 after I'd paid off my student loans. So I was. Kind of just free to do whatever I wanted. And then this telecom company called me. So, with the, the Lehman shock in 2008 and the Tohoku disaster of 2011, these kind of events in my life have just more or less kept me in Japan and not really allowing me, or I guess I couldn't really seize on an opportunity to ever leave this,、uh, this island nation. All right. I think a lot of us can say similar stories from how we got where we are. Oh, yeah. The plans, yeah. the plans that are not as they seem. For sure.、Uh, when did you begin your podcast?、Uh, well, this is, I'm on my third or fourth podcast right now. I started podcasting in 2015, about there, maybe a little bit earlier.、Uh, I was a, a co host for a year on the、uh, Got Faded Japan podcast. Oh, And yeah, that, that deals in the drinking and crime and things like that. Uh, but after a year, I wanted to、um, focus on indie music because I'm an independent musician. So I left the podcast more or less to do that. And after about a year of drinking and making fun of dead children, it's like, okay, I think I've had enough. One、Jeez. year of my life dedicated to this is、uh, all I can stand. So、uh, moved on from there. Set up another podcast called The Maddie B Files, which was a sort of a.、Um, Field recordings with interviews with street musicians and international musicians, indie bands from around the world and in Japan,、uh, set up a unique network、uh, of, of people there.、Uh, but after about 2016, uh, 
uh, interest in music really changed because of social media, really focusing on the user being the brand. So the interest in music really leveled off. And uh, that's why I started the Japan What podcast with Tom Maleski, which is the latest uh, iteration in podcasting. Running out of the weeds, you found it. The Japan What Podcast, blowing hot air to the back end of Tokyo. I'm your co-host, Matt Bigelow. And I'm Tom Maleski. We bring you the inner workings of Japan with an outsider's perspective and zero insight. Zero insight guaranteed, my friends. None whatsoever. We're done with the insight. Not even a smattering. Hey, you know that yes. uh, in Japan we got all these crazy products? I wanted a show, I wanted a co-host, I wanted to be able to focus on various topics. Tom brings his materials, I bring my materials. We put them together, have a discussion, play some clips, um, and do call-in interviews like what your guys are doing now. And uh, yeah, it's been really good so far. The response has been great. Yeah, um, that's the one I'm most familiar with. And your co-host is really very interesting, as are you. Uh, how did you guys end up deciding to work together? Um, we met through a mutual friend in town, Takashi Umemiya, who is a uh, half Japanese, half Filipino trucker reggae musician. And he was doing these shows at the Serendipity Cafe in a suburb of Tokyo, I believe, called Chigasaki. And uh, we were just finishing that show one day and coming home on the train. I'd been drinking a lot and he was just laughing at all my jokes, uh, no matter how off color they were. And so when I put out a, uh, an invitation to start a podcast, he responded. And I remember having a good vibe with him. And he's, mm -hmm. uh, he's a straight man. And I'm kind of the crazy guy. And so it <laughs> works well that way. But he's also, he's, he's not as, he's not as uh, straight as he thinks he is. I think, I think we're both a bit loose. A few <laughs> nuts or bolts are not there. And maybe we complement each other in that regard. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's actually very similar to how Shinya and I ended up working together. I put a Facebook post up saying I wanted to start a podcast and uh, who would be a good co-host. And he raised his hand digitally, so to speak. What do you think about it, Shinya? How's it going so far? Yeah, it's going quite well, to be honest. Uh, with our, well, for our podcast, as I say, um, we have sort of like the different backgrounds of, of course, you've been living here for quite a long time. I'm half Japanese, but I lived in a different country for most of my life. I'm younger, you're a little bit older. So you've got Watch the it. two, the two, <laughs> <laughs> like the two, what is it? Thoughts and ideas of, I don't know, our generations and things like that and how it, um, how Japan comes into it and things like that. So um, it's been, doing very well and uh i guess i just i guess just keep at it yeah yeah that's the my motto as well perfectionism is the enemy of progress so mm -hmm. better do it than not do it yep. which is uh i you might have noticed uh, today i actually have upgraded my situation a little bit um i'm in my home studio using professional equipment but the lighting was not conductive to having the monitor and everything set up where it normally is. So uh, I realized this about five minutes before we were supposed to start that I just couldn't set it up how I had envisioned. And uh, I moved the monitor onto the piano bench and I'm sitting on a very short chair <laughs> um, here. So it's 
kind of a bit topsy-turvy. You do not want to see the state of my studio right now. It's really messy. I'm going to be spending time cleaning it up after the havoc I wreaked on it setting this up. But hopefully the sound quality is far better than previous episodes. Well, you got plenty of time, right? <laughs> well, actually, I got a message this morning that my morning job will be starting up next week. So that's very exciting. But yes, this week I am not completely unemployed like Matt, but... And I can't, shouldn't say completely, but that was your words. <laughs> unemployed. Yes, oh yes, I'm <laughs> very much unemployed at the moment. Very much. Okay, I'm close I'm still making to money, it. though, so... Oh, okay. How are you still making money when you're unemployed? Because uh, I work at a, a job agency. Okay. And... Uh, my the contract that I had been under just coincidentally ended on March 31st mm -hmm. and so from April 1st no joke there was no jobs available so I'm making a base pay based on the contract that I have with the job agency I'm with but it's okay. not very much mm, okay but, but it's, it's like it's, it's you're drawing more than something. nothing yeah right yeah more than more than nothing that was so my I just motto. do nothing and wait for some money to come in. Well, uh, how are you enjoying that new temporary lifestyle? It's been interesting. I've had a lot of personal things happen in my life, too. That's requiring me to slow down a little bit. So I'm trying to readjust my life and thinking about what to do next. You know what to do next. I think everyone's thinking like this, aren't yeah. they? So imagine so. Yeah. I hear the word the new normal tossed around a lot. I, I don't want a mm. new normal. That's Me either. I don't this kind of weird these weird terms being used all by everybody all of a sudden all over the world. It's like, oh what's on the news? Oh, it's a new normal, the current situation. And you listen to a podcast and some guy's like, Yes, yeah, the new normal and then the Prime Minister of Japan speaking, he's like, Time for a new normal. <laughs> what? <laughs> why why uh, why is all of this <laughs> happening? It's why all when I, whenever I look and put my ears onto something, somebody's whispering, "It's a new normal. It's a new normal." Hey, did you know it's a new normal? Okay, I guess so. Is that what we're supposed to think now? It does seem a bit like some kind of weird mind control sci-fi situation at times, but and there might be some new normals we have to adjust to. I think we're gonna get back to the old normal or something very close to it, or perhaps slightly upgraded version, you know, like the 2.0, where people can telework if they choose to do so and avoid a lot of the conflicts of working yourself to death, literally. There's a word for that in Japanese. Oh, what is that word? Haroshi. Haroshi, yes. Uh, and I mean, a lot of us who are now switching to online teaching, uh, myself, I'm just teaching one university class but online from the go with about a week, two weeks notice before we had to switch to that. And the amount of work I'm putting in to do it that way versus if I was just going into teachers three or four times what I normally would spend. It's kind of tough. And I was doing a lot of telework uh, teaching as well towards the end of my contract because the I had to go remote. And, uh, we weren't allowed to have more than a certain amount of people in the same room at this uh, mm -hmm. corporation. Mm -hmm. And um, it's... If you, tr I, w I went full digital. I didn't use any paper. Okay. And that that cut down on a lot of the prep. And I could just email them the links to certain video websites and, and contents after the class. And they almost preferred it that way. So I kind of developed a system, but it's not really quite the same as meeting people face to face. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's much better to kind of sometimes 
go somewhere to do something rather than just yes. go to your computer to do something. Like I'm going to go shopping on my computer. I'm going to go learn English on my computer. I'm going to go do a podcast on my computer. So we kind of just, we have our asses stapled to this one spot for all of our actions in life. And mm -hmm. I don't know, it's all going to lead to some sort of advertising campaign, I'm sure. They're already <laughs> based on the AI algorithms, well, what we're saying, uh, somebody somewhere is preparing a, a coupon, you know? Very interesting. Yeah. It is scary how well Facebook and Instagram know exactly what I want to buy before I even know that I want to buy it. So I, I read or saw somewhere that they could predict people's political affiliations or who they were most likely to vote for through their social media uh, interactions, which is it's not, not really a surprise, is it? No, but it, it's incredible what's available out there and how connected we are these days, good or bad. Uh, What's so, interesting but, about that mm -hmm. is that the uh, those political campaignists can, if they understand who you're going to vote for, they can then target you with negative information about the person you want to vote for. Hmm. So it, it's not it's not about only getting information about who you're going to vote for, but maybe spoiling your interests in that person before you vote for them. For sure, you can use that information in many nefarious ways <laughs> yeah, yeah anyways I, I had to look into this a lot for this job i was doing i became an expert in ai and uh, it's crazy what's going on you know and how long have you been an expert in ai for the past three years about okay. because i was teaching ai engineers and advanced um, wireless uh, telecommunications engineers you know putting satellites into space and figuring out ways to reduce uh, radio frequency noise from other competitors so that your your signals can break through to devices uh, much more clearly than others. Like really kind of crazy head stuff. And I read a whole bunch of books about it, products about it, and I had to deliver these materials to the people actually doing it. So when I presented them with inaccurate information, they would tell me. And then when I presented them with accurate information, they would show interest in it. And that led me to dig deeper in those directions. It was uh, very strange. Yeah, that is quite an interesting path you've gotten on. Um, I'm really curious as a fellow musician. Um, yes. I have not heard of that particular genre of music that you mentioned before. Jewish... Klezmer music. Klezmer music. Okay, tell us about that. Um, klezmer music is a classical type of um, Jewish music that ranges, you know, you can say from Ukraine, Russia, down through the Balkans... Um, and then into uh, Turkey and areas like that. Um, and it was done by sort of traveling nomadic peoples that would go from one town to the other and they would perform at weddings and perform uh, at all these different events. So it's very lively, but it's also done in a whole bunch of uh, various time signatures. Uh, so it's at the same time, it's very sad, it's very happy, and it's incredibly difficult to do because you're always playing in like these 7 eighths, 11 16 um, time signatures. And uh, it's, but at the same time, it, when, when usually with these days, when you hear about complex time signatures, it tends to be people showing off what they can do. But because this is kind of dance music, it has mm -hmm. to, people have to be able to get into a, a groove Breathe without them, without them knowing it. So, uh, yeah, it's K, K L, sorry, Klezmer, Kle, C L E, no, K L E M E Z E R, Klezmer music. I can't think Klezmer. about how to spell it. 
Something like that. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Thank mm. you, Mr. Spellcheck. Wait, wait. This is off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you you actually say Z in Australia and Canada? No, I... we don't say Z. Come on. Oh, come on. Z. <laughs> Z. Mm. Yes. You guys are weird. <laughs> and uh, how, how did you get into klezmer music? I'd been performing as a singer-songwriter for my songs that I wrote myself um, on guitar. I play guitar and drums. And some of the musicians that I was working with moved back uh, to their home countries, and I was left without a project. This was about 10 years ago or more. And I knew some of my friends had started this other instrumental project. I just wanted something to play, so I offered to join them. And at the time, I didn't take the music very seriously. To me, it was just kind of goofy uh, goofy, nerdy kind of music. Uh, it wasn't cool, uh, but I, I decided to join up and then I looked into it and researched it and got really into this uh, genre of music called klezmer. Um, and we managed to play a TEDx event. That was probably the peak. We did TEDx at wow. uh, Haneda Airport. Um, that was a few years ago. Uh, and we played a whole bunch of cafes around town. We designed almost like a donation style business model around it. So um, we could walk in with acoustic instruments and walk out with a hat full of money. We didn't need a whole bunch of amps and, and everything like that. We could just come with, with their hands and, and leave with some cash at the end of the night. And it, was, it was really fun. But again, some musicians get older, they start having families, you don't have enough time to um, learn another song and 27-3, whatever it is, time signature, and, and it kind of just it fell apart naturally. No no bad omens there. But the band was called The Dead Sea Dropouts. The Dead Sea Dropouts. All right. It sounds really fascinating. Um, in Japan, they don't really have a tipping system like we do in the U.S., so how did that work for you with the tip style? Hat out. We had some... The music was so interesting and so obscure, but it was so happy at the same time without being cheesy. Like a little bit cheesy, I guess. <laughs> P people would hear violin solos and trumpet solos and clarinet solos in a bright, lively manner. And people would just fork out at the end of the night. We never really had to worry about um, people not donating. You know, the music would kind of create such a mood that when we put out the hat, people were willing to reciprocate. Uh, I've, I've also had the experience of being singer-songwriter type of stuff, and there's such a glut of that that it doesn't separate you from anybody else. But because we had a very unique appearance, a very unique sound, and a sound that people liked to hear, uh, yeah, they you know, most people would, would, would shell us out some shekels. Of course, it's right. really unique. So, yes, not a surprise is there, that, I think. There's somewhere that we could hear the... Yeah, we did have a YouTube channel. I'm, yeah, hold on a second. Um, well, how did you get into this music in the first place? Just randomly by accident. Oh, really? Everything, everything else in this country. <laughs> <laughs> it's all totally random. <laughs> yes, as is life, as our, is our podcast. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, let's see if I could maybe play... This song was recorded four years ago at the What the Dickens, a very famous pub mm. here in uh, Tokyo, Japan. One, 
idea, that type of music. It's like yeah. carnival music. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, really fascinating. I think it was we'll interesting because probably... when we did that uh, show at the TED Talk, we opened up for this the Japanese CEO of Uber. So this kind of crazy gypsy band comes out, and then the next person is like this very conservative like tech guy trying to promote Uber in Japan. <laughs> oh wow, that sounds like an incredible event, and I'm so jealous. I really would love to do a TED Talk someday. I'd like、It's... to play Jewish music someday. Can <laughs> <laughs> you probably... play、That's... any instruments? No way. I'm so. No, I never got into instruments. Actually, did you guys have to play instruments when you were in school? Not have to, but besides the you recorder, you chose to. Yeah,、oh, yeah. I, I took a half term of guitar class in the sixth grade, and then started playing violin from seventh,、uh, and I still play.、So. And I started guitar when I was about 15, learning from my stepdad, and、uh, picked up some piano when I was in college. But I never really studied that. I did take private lessons actually in sixth grade for a while, but didn't take to them very well. And that's that.、Uh, when did you start playing that? More, yeah, very similar to you. I played alto saxophone in high school, junior high school. Then after that, I picked up the drums. And then when I was in writing school, I picked up guitar、uh, to, because I was really inspired by people like Tom Waits and Elliot Smith,、uh, to kind of do songwriting, lyric-based songwriting. And then I played cajon for a while, and yes,、yeah, now I'm, I'm more into the production side of things.、Yeah. Very cool. Interesting. I, yes. I picked、Nothing. up a tenor sax a couple summers back, but. <laughs> It's no, very、I、hard was, to practice that here. Yeah, I was definitely not a music or arts sort of person. I did two maths and sciences at school, so definitely more on the other other side of the school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I like, I enjoy music. I love listening to music, but playing music, you have to dedicate a lot of time. I think so. Yes, I prefer just listening. <laughs> My theory now is that if you want to be a musician, you almost have to be on the scale. You have to be almost like an OCD, because you just sit in this room all day doing this. Right. Like, well, now that I'm almost forty, I think only crazy people do that. <laughs> Who just sits in a room tapping out little patterns on a guitar neck?、Yeah. Imagine if you didn't know what a guitar was, and you came into a room, and this guy's like, ah. You know, all day on his guitar, you'd think he's a crazy person.、Yeah. I've had the theory that musicians tend to be—I I don't know if on the scale to how I would have put it—but、uh, definitely out there on the fringes of normal society and thinking. And that always makes it interesting <laughs> when you decide to work with somebody. And yes, I wonder sometimes if I am as normal as I think, and not that I think I'm particularly normal anyway. But、uh, I guess what's normal, right? What is The new normal <laughs> is the、oh. new normal. Normal is the old normal. Normal, you're not sure. So, yes. Nobody's really normal. The new normal is just making everybody tap on their phones. <laughs> so, Matt, now that you are the most experienced podcaster among us, 
Um, anything you'd like to maybe reverse it to us? Ask us some things. I know you've uh, watched an episode or two of our show since you told yeah, me. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good that you guys are getting um, uh, good mics. It makes a real difference, I think. So that's good. Also, because you're in um, Sapporo and Hokkaido, you kind of have a nice advantage over us in Tokyo because of the pool of people and there's a lot less competition, you know. Um, I'm, I'm basically competing against NHK in, in Tokyo here for this type of thing. But in where you guys are at, you can get the baseball players and just the access to the talent must be a lot easier and more direct, you know? So that's cool. Yeah, I think we have an advantage in not being as crowded, as you said. And I just, with my work, I've come across so many amazing people related to our islands and, and beyond, like Carlos Mirabal, you were referencing from our third episode. And uh, maybe someday I'll get the uh, former coach Trey Hillman on if he's willing to Skype in with us. Um, we're pretty good friends. And uh, who knows? There's just a lot of wonderful resource and talent up here in Hokkaido, which is why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. There's a lot more to living here than just the beautiful nature and delicious food. Although there is that. I was there <laughs> about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. I spent a few weeks in Hokkaido. It was awesome. Uh, you could even go to like the, the zoo. I'm not a zoo guy, but I was at the zoo and I got some potatoes at the zoo and they were the, like some of the most delicious potatoes I've ever had in my life. I was like, whoa, even the Hokkaido zoo potatoes are amazing over here. Uh, also, Hokkaido people tend to be very, they're a lot more open and they're a lot more, more interactive with each other than Tokyo, you know, we're, we're kind of cold a little bit here in Tokyo. So even sometimes people are very talented. When you sit down face to face with them, they can be a little bit standoffish. So in, sometimes in podcast land, that doesn't lead to the best type of uh, interview either. So mm, yeah, I think that's just a Tokyo thing. I think uh, I have some family that live in Fukuoka and they're quite similar to Hokkaido people, a little bit open, uh, out there, yes, more chill or relaxed or less strict in a way. So I think that is just a Tokyo thing. And for places like smaller cities like Sapporo, Fukuoka, maybe even some areas in Kansai, I think they are quite open. So, yeah. I think it's just a big city thing. And even yeah. though Sapporo is what, like sixth largest city in Japan, um, and almost two million population, it feels like a small town wherever you go, pretty much. Which is especially the, the foreigners. I know, like most of the foreigners that live in Sapporo, <laughs> <laughs> especially like that goes to the university. Oh my god! Every time I go out drinking or something, I see a few of them somewhere. Yes, so it's yeah, as you said, two million people in population but i see the same people every every week <laughs> every second week so <laughs> yeah i get recognized and seen by people it, it even it's just kind of unbelievable how quickly people see me and my car is also very unique here and uh, i'll have people like oh yeah i saw you driving downtown and parked over there the other day it's like oh nice thanks for spying <laughs> i mean your face is on a billboard in the airport so that's true too. <laughs> As well, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I it's... saw her before. Did you? No, no, no. Just saying, like, as for uh, some yeah, other people, yeah. it's like 
huh, I've seen her face somewhere. Where have I seen her face? There are, there are a lot of times I'll walk through the streets, and especially guys, but people will kind of give me that look like, I know her from somewhere. Like, yeah, you probably do. <laughs> but mm, I'm hoping with the things opening up again that my work with the airport will pick up once again. Fingers crossed. And, We're uh, free people once again. The lockdown has ended. Yes, as of uh, yesterday, yeah. Yeah, 7 p.m. was official free time. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a time deadline on that. That's cool. Oh, it's Japan. It was decided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, how about you? Have you best been sheltering? Ugh, take two. Have you been sheltering at home for the most part during this? Yeah, COVID? more or less. I go for a walk every day. Um I, I was looking at the numbers and I never really, after after the end of the middle of April, I kind of thought, yeah, if, if everybody's just quibbling about masks, it's not really that big of a deal. You know, I, I, I had, I didn't see any, I live right, I live in central Tokyo and I live next to some big hospitals. Nope. There's no press there. There's no streams of ambulances coming in and out you know there's no people unloading bodies from the back of a car or something like that so for me i started just going out for walks cautious walks masked walks down some of the side streets and major road areas where not a lot of people congregate or gather uh, so that's kind of how i've been coping stop off get a beer walk back mm -hmm. and uh, listen to some podcasts uh, but i haven't really been going out and uh, meeting people so yeah Okay. Do you think you're going to start anytime soon? I don't know. Um, uh, I, I probably will uh, next weekend. <laughs> next weekend. I don't. I want to go out and go out and eat at restaurants, mm. get some nice food, and, and have that type of normality return for sure. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. But I haven't really been going into big groups a lot lately in the past five years, anyways. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that sounds intriguing. Is there a specific reason for that? Kind of. Um, it's. I'm not that political. So mm. now when I go out, especially in a central place like Tokyo, and there's a lot of foreigners gathered, it just tends to get very political, uh, pretty one-sidedly. And I'm not really on one side or the other, but I just kind of get, really? get, I get bored of listening to people talk politics, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of it's kind of made me kind of go, eh, okay, I can just I can live vicariously through podcasts. That doesn't <laughs> sound like a good time out talking yeah. about politics. Yeah. No, no, no. And a lot of there is some younger uh, generations here, but a lot of the long-term residents, uh, English speakers oh. in Tokyo, they they maybe mid forties, fifties, and sixties as well. So. Uh, I've noticed that they kind of have a, a, a more of a TV way of looking at the world. And I don't even own a TV, so I've just kind of been, I've been like, just like a split in the, in the society. Right. Mm, yeah. So when the NHK people come knocking, you can honestly tell them you don't have a TV. <laughs> that's, that's what I tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For our, our listeners and viewers who may not be familiar with this, uh, in Japan, we have the NHK network. It's a lot like PBS in the U.S. as far as being a government sponsored. Well, no, I'm sorry, as public service TV kind of thing. However, in the U.S., we do uh, fundraising. It's completely voluntary, whereas 
here it is a demanded you must door, pay door knock door knocking um and what is it it's like nimayen ikura yeah Maybe? it's expensive like over 200 dollars a year to pay for one station and even if you're paying for cable as we already are um it's not included in that and uh, a lot of people were boycotting it my family was for a while but then there was some ruling that said it was just and fair and everybody still had to continue to pay uh, despite never ever ever watching that station we pay about 200 dollars a year for the privilege of having a tv yay really <laughs> yes yeah there's some sort of thing where if you have a, a certain type of transponder coming out of the back of your tv that's the license that you have to pay to use it mm. it's one of those things so it's not it's it's about the channel but it's also about the the government access to the channel something like that i'm not exactly sure i know they've been trying to pass more regulations where even if you have the capability of watching tv on a smartphone you would have to pay a fee for nhk because it means you could access it <laughs> Yeah, it's not really a good channel, NHK. It's good for like uh, news briefings and yes. things like that, mm. but um, that's about it, you know. But even then, you could just you could Google that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the good things, if you are into the news, I refuse to watch it. It's uh, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life on a daily basis. But if you do watch the news, you can switch the um channel on your TV from like stereo to left or right and that'll give you English on the news programs in NHK. So there's a pro tip for you if you're in Japan and didn't realize you could listen to some things in English. Have you ever worked for them? Have you ever done translation or speaking work? Um, I've worked for NHK World on a number of occasions doing a J-trip plan. Uh, That's right. I think I've seen some of those Yeah, in your social media feed. Yeah, unfortunately, they seem to have canceled that show despite its um, vast popularity. But we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. So I love NHK World and people that are viewing about Japan from afar have a good opinion. I, I consider them two different entities, although they are, of course, connected in <laughs> a deep way. The NHK World um, news reporters uh, really speak and use a high degree high standard of of english reporting that has really changed in the west where it's a lot of editorialization these days mm. the uh, i studied journalism so when i when i see like the nhk news presenters i'm going oh wow uh, this this uh, degree of of usage of, of english in a news reporting fashion is it's a very time honored they're, they're very good at doing that that sounds like high praise oh yes yes <laughs> Because I, I used to try to train interpreters at a job, so I'm, I'm used to uh, understanding how uh, people use correct combinations of words to convey meaning and things like that, and it's not easy. And so when people are able to do that uh, to a high standard, I kind of go, oh, that person's not only just good at English, but they're very well trained at a skill, like a technical proficiency. Mm, yeah, that's always something to be appreciated and admired. I myself yeah. tend to lean towards, uh, as a communication teacher, uh, I think you can obviously reach for a very high standard of English, but the average person may not even, even native speakers may not grasp it quickly. So I no. prefer to go simple, direct, 
and uh, really focus on not just the vocabulary, but the whole body language, tone of voice, and the tools that come naturally to people automatically. Um, I think that helps, especially uh, Japanese second language learn Japanese people who are trying to speak English. Um, the shyness issue is the biggest hurdle most of the time. So giving them some confidence that, hey, you, you already know how to use body language and tone of voice. Those are your biggest weapons. And then we'll work on vocabulary and such from there. But yeah, it's really nice to hear the other side of things um, and that higher quality. I think Tokyo in general tends to have a much higher level of uh, expectation and experience because the competition is so much fiercer there. Yeah. So it's really a pleasure nice. to have you with us today and elevate the tone a bit. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm, that was not my intention to elevate the tone. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I, I was kind of joking because your podcast is... is wonderfully irreverent in many cases and um yeah just a lot of fun to listen to and uh your most recent episode was a professional whistling artist yes 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 tracy um, uh Echeverri. Yeah. and what what's her stage name the insane whistler yeah that really intrigued <laughs> me um I know this must be an impossible question, but of all the guests that you have had on your podcast, uh, what what are some of the most standout ones that just immediately pop into your mind? Yeah, she is one of them. Uh, oftentimes, we're talking about musicians kind of being very uh, OCD in a way. Sometimes they're not the best communicators because they communicate through music. Mm -hmm. But somebody with a story of becoming a professional whistler, it's going to have the component of, communicating that story as well as having the 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 high professionalism of her whistling because she's an amazing whistler i mean you listen to her whistling and you go okay that's how you make money whistling it's no joke you know she has to practice a lot she was one of them uh i used to interview this uh really uh conservative old uh guy named max and he but he's a japanese conservative he considers himself to be japanese even though he's american german uh and he's ultra conservative i've never met this type of person he's in his mid-60s he publishes books uh he's kind of a he's almost he almost carries with him like some sort of anti-korean sentiment and wow. uh, yeah I'm, I'm not promoting these ideas i've worked with him a little bit on some of the things just getting into that kind of mindset as well uh not always because the japan is a very conservative society and yeah they're often very closed because it's usually presented in a certain way but he was very open about it so if he's representing a milieu a mindset of people then interviewing him about that milieu was very uh, mind-opening to me you know uh it's kind of a funny funny thing so he was another one uh what are some of the other guests i've had on i interviewed another guy he's a, a band called the shamisenist mm. and they're like a shamisen rock group yeah. Uh, they're very good. His name was Jack. Uh, anybody else? I really like this guy, Fwad, from the band Kyoto Protocol. He's a great rock and roll singer, songwriter, and an economist from Kuala Lumpur. Mm -hmm. So all of these kind of random types that you kind of get after a while. You know, it's It's a really interesting way to accumulate information from... Uh, group vectors that I would normally never have access to. And how do you usually end up meeting these people and getting access to them? 
Um, I'm a, I'm, I ask them, uh, I'm being a musician as well and having records, uh, I've published a few records in my time. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just asking people being, being a producer about after a while. So, uh, yeah. drinking, drinking, how about that? Going out and drinking. Yeah. Wasted. And then they say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That would be an interesting tactic. Jinya, that's your job. Yeah, I can do that. That's fine. That's my <laughs> specialty. That's where I shine. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, Matt, you said you spent some time in Hokkaido a few weeks. Were you just here on vacation or was there something more to it? It was just a vacation. Uh, I'd get some time off and uh, I didn't want to spend a lot of money. And uh, I went to Hokkaido and I was originally going to do woofing. Do you remember woofing? Workers mm-hmm. on organic farms. You would, oh. you would pay like 5,000 yen, 50 bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would send you a card with your picture on it and a, a printed list of farms in Japan that are organic farms that let people work there and they eat and live there for free for a few weeks and move on. Uh, but I broke my arm like three days before going uh, oh, in, no. a, in a bicycle <laughs> accident. I, I meant to pull up on the curb, but my, my front tire just hit the curb at this angle and I flew over the bicycle and like really shattered my elbow. Jeez. So, uh, I, the one-armed farmer, you know, that doesn't really work. Uh, so I went to Hokkaido and I just went to one city, and then I would meet people there, because this is 2008, about you know, uh, before smartphones and all of that really took over. And I would meet somebody who speaks English. They would tell me where to go. The next day, I would go there, and I would repeat that process for about two weeks. Wow. So, um, what are some of the most memorable places you visited while you were here? I really liked um, the, the lake district in the east of Hokkaido, the Akanko, Kushiroko, and Mashuko. Kusharoko? Mm-hmm. Kusharoko. Uh, those areas were just wild, uh, so different from what I'm used to seeing. I really liked Asahikawa for its food. I learned that it, Asahikawa is a city in central Hokkaido where all of the food gets sent to first before being shipped into Sapporo and all that, so you can go there and eat everything. Um, and I went cherry picking in the BA uh, Furano uh, area mm-hmm. in the summertime with all of the lavender and the all-you-can-eat cherries and things like that. So, yeah, it was good. Oh, that awesome. sounds amazing. Those are some yeah. of my favorite places as well. Mm. Same, definitely. I'm hoping once we can be a little more able to move around and such to do a little bit like distance location recordings of the podcast and introduce people not only to the beautiful sights and tastes of Hokkaido further afield from Sapporo but also the people that are running businesses and uh, doing interesting things throughout the island in fact there's a candle maker that uh, is from Canada and also Japan a couple that are working I think near Saikawa maybe but uh, I'd love to go up and see their workshop and introduce people to them directly. Although we might have them on before that digital About candles? Well, you know, candles and just, um, it seems like their lives. You could be making candles on camera while interviewing each other, you know? That would be (laughs) 
that would be a cool visual thing. There's uh, so yeah. many bloggers that come to uh, Sapporo, uh, not Sapporo, sorry, but uh, uh, Tokyo, and they're like, ah, the five areas of Shibuya you got to see, and it's see, always yes. the same five things. Ten um, things you got to do. Just, yeah, they're, they're shills yeah. for some sort of tourism organization, I think. But because you guys are in this awesome area with so much untapped diversity there, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of mics, a camera, some interesting on location sites would be that'd be a really interesting thing to look at you know speaking of ba just take was... take the the nhk's view that you were doing and, and steal that <laughs> well a little more on that what do you mean i mean you were doing that travel show for the nhk world and then mm-hmm. it stopped you could just continue doing that maybe that nhk well that's a, a possibility uh, something like that um the show that I do for the airport, Have Fun in Hokkaido, is, uh, of course, very short. It used to be 14 minutes. Now it's down to seven, uh, just to be broadcast on the big vision screens throughout the, the airport terminals. But um, yeah, I have met so many amazing people, like a potter in BA who makes these incredible, very expensive uh, artistic works. Um, in the winter, he will glaze outside in like the most freezing temperatures and so it makes ice crystals in the glaze and forms these incredible patterns that only nature could do and uh, he speaks amazing English and my director had to keep saying like I want you to speak Japanese please speak Japanese to her while she's speaking English to you for editing so uh, I would it was such a thing for me like that the people viewing the show couldn't enjoy this guy's incredible English skill and uh, I want to go back and do a bit longer thing. And yeah, it would be really awesome to be making pottery while we talked. So yeah, yeah. he could Thanks he for... could explain in English how the how the crystals are, are appearing naturally in the glazing process and things like that. Yes. So I really and he has an amazing Harley Davidson motorcycle. So <laughs> that's also something I would like to explore as a biker child myself. That'd be great. Mm. In Hokkaido's a bigger place, so you got you kind of got bigger freaks out there. In <laughs> uh, in Tokyo, we got everything is so small, so you got this real kind of this person will have an amazing collection of something, but it's just really really small. You know, mm-hmm. it's cool that you got that uh, out there in Hokkaido. Yeah, it, it's just a wonderful place. So, as the COVID nineteen restrictions have lifted, and then common sense will dictate how far we take our freedom i do really look forward to starting to travel a bit more and uh introducing our audience to the wonderful world that we live in shinya where would you like to go in hokkaido Mm -hmm. um so my favorite place in hokkaido is uh uh, shiretoko Mm -hmm. shiretoko which is in the what is it the northeastern part of Hokkaido with the very famous peninsula and uh, if you go up the mountain there you can see the islands of Russia very beautiful and next time I would like to go further down south so past Kushiro past Nemuro and visit there is like a really thin peninsula it's like the east Hokkaido but in the middle I forgot what it's called and you can drive there and it's about a few kilometers long and I would like to visit there especially and uh, I like Mashuko 
I like Akan. So it is near my mother's hometown of Kitami. Yes. So I would like to visit there again as well. To be honest, that is actually my favorite place in Hokkaido as well.、Uh, my first year working with Have Fun in Hokkaido, we went to all of those, like Mashiko and、uh, the Shibazakura Higashi Mokoto、yeah. Park. Uh, we also went horseback riding in Saroma on the beach and whale watching in Laos. Gardens, which this year, because of COVID 19, they plucked all of the tulip heads off of the flowers to keep people from coming to see the gardens. Mm. Mm. Which is supposed to be healthy for the bulbs and should produce a nicer、uh, view next year, but it was still quite sad to read about that. But yeah, Eastern Hokkaido is such an incredibly rich place to、uh, visit for nature, and the people are also very interesting. We started our video then very farm where I got to feed and milk cows, and、uh, the people there were really friendly and yeah, just love everything about it. Were you talking about the Notescape Peninsula? Yes. Thank you, yes, Max. Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I think that's it. Yeah, it looks pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and、uh, yeah, it's a. Eastern Hokkaido is a, is a real, real crazy place. It's, it's a real frontier. And、uh, it's such a mixture of Japanese people that there's no, there's no thousand, three thousand year culture、no. in a way. So you, sometimes living in、uh, Kyoto or, or Tokyo, it's like,、ah, here's something from this big event 300 years ago, which was caused by this other huge event 900 years ago. And my family has this history of a samurai to this person here and that person there. You're kind of always walking around on thousands of years of history. In Hokkaido, you don't have any of that. It's just like, here's the cows. <laughs> yes. That's it. Yes. yes. I definitely But, felt that. Yeah,、well. I think for people who come to Hokkaido, especially travelers,、uh, people who want to come sightseeing, sightseeing, they need 
not need, but they should have an international driver's license because definitely going on a drive and going through Hokkaido is one of the best ways. Ah,、oh, one of my friends actually went cycling around lots of areas in Hokkaido. I mean, you can do that as well, but I do think driving is an easier way <laughs>、yeah. of doing that. So、uh, I recommend getting a rent a car. Driving around Hokkaido for about a week, visiting these places. So, yeah, that would be ideal. And another idea that I actually am very interested in is renting a camping car and doing that kind of trip. And there are some services here in Hokkaido that、uh, our friend Amanda, she and her partner took a nice、uh, vacation using a rented camping car. And、uh, it looked incredible. I think that would be a very economic way to do it. and Avoid you know, all the hotel costs and also just having to move things in and out every day as you move around. Just keep it all in one place, save you some time. And you don't have to worry about bugs or insects, maybe bears, but <laughs> other, than, other than that,、uh, yes, it's not like a dangerous what is it, way to live compared、yeah. to if you go camping, for example,、right. in America or Australia. Uh, lots of things that can、uh, kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit more risk if you're going to go cam- camping in a tent.、Um, although lots of people do it, and I think if you take the right precautions, it's still a pretty safe way to go about enjoying it. I went camping in Hokkaido. Yeah. What, 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 in one of those lakes, Kush,、uh, yeah, Kushado Lake.、Mm-hmm. I went camping there, and they have like outdoor onsen. So, you just open up your tent. It's like $5 a night to camp there.、Mm-hmm. You, and you walk into this natural onsen. And you go back and you pick up some beers from the, 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 the little shop there. And you go drink a bunch of beer in your tent. Oh, wow. That does sound、Easy. like a nice. Yeah.、Cool. It's awesome. <laughs> you buy a bunch of tinned fish and bread and you heat up the tinned fish in the, on the fire and then dip the bread into the tinned fish. It's a great way to live. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to try that sometime. Yeah, I haven't been camping in ages. And I'm not, not the best camper. I don't have any gear at all. So I need, I need someone to go with who knows about these things. But Is there a service? Do you know? Is there a service where you can rent this stuff? That is a really great question. Uh, I don't know about a specific service for renting these things, but I imagine. So, the camping you- van or the camping car, of course, you can rent this, but like actual renting a, I don't know, three or four man tent、mm. and some、uh, yeah. supplies, was it outdoor supplies or something? Do you know anything I, if they have something、I、like that? I imagine a lot of the tour companies who arrange things for people provide like- it. Kaido Nature Tour Guides,、um, there's a couple others. They probably have services to provide those things. So, something we'll check into and try to add that information into the podcast.、Um, yeah, if they don't have that service, they need to have it somewhere. So, certainly we'll check into it. I know for the motorcyclists that go around Japan, they have like motorcycle dormitories.、Hmm. So, if you're doing motorcycle tours, There's usually little spots you can stop off at and pay a little fee for a,、uh, some sort of dormitory specializing in people doing motorcycle tours. Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't heard of that before. So、yeah. that would be a 
really nice option. They had one of those at the Kushado Lake as well. Yeah, just motorcycle guys kind of coming and going from this one location. I'm just like, okay, yeah, I guess you'd, there's no reason why you should come over here. I don't, I don't know why, but okay, that's the way it works. Like, yeah, we're riders, you know, we're, we're the rider guys. Have you had any experience with motorcycle guys, riders here? Um, some of my students, but for the most part, uh, I'm a train guy. Uh, I've been all over Japan on the local trains. Um, I much, I much prefer somebody driving than me driving. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I've run into a few people here and there doing the bike tours, and it's a little bit different vibe from all the bikers I grew up around.、Um, I don't feel like there's such a hardcore. No. Ambience. No, it's just it's a hobby. It's something they enjoy doing. But you're as likely to find doctors and lawyers and you know people in very respectable careers riding their bikes around as、They're、you would. They're speed junkies. Oh. I think they're speed junkies. Like they they want to find a stretch of highway where they can go 120 miles an hour for like 30 seconds, and that's probably the the connection between all of those different peoples. They're like, yep, I just want to go real fast sometimes. <laughs> well, that's that's probably true. Most people who like to ride bikes are speed junkies. I am not. No. Ah, I like speed. <laughs> I like speed, but I think the Togos are also very nice to drive up and down as well, especially riding as well. I think so, not just the speed, just going up the mountains and going through the S's and the Togos and stuff like that. I think is enjoyable for a lot of people as well.、Uh, what is Togo in English? Ah,、uh, hill climb was it? Hill climb or climbing a mountain, driving up a mountain. So Togo is mountain, famous. Mountain Maybe. Yeah, mountain pass. Yes,、okay. uh, Togo is are... usually famous because back in the day, I think what is it, 80s or 90s, when drifting was very popular, and they were going out on the Togos and going uphill and downhill, trying to drift and things like that. So,、mm. Togo. Yeah,、yes. and there's usually some kind of service station as well in these Togo areas, so it's a good place to stop over, eat some. Food.、Uh, they usually、oh, have nice something. Nice view. Nice view as and, well. Yeah, so gorgeous views. Nice view.、Um, or、oh, anyone who's watched、uh, Initial D or has re- <laughs> read Initial D, of course, of course.、Uh, Initial D is popular, I think, around the world. And people who like cars or people who like going fast know about Initial D. So Initial D, yes, I think that's where most people think of Torges. If you say Torges, they'll think of Initial D. Yeah, I actually do know what that is.、Um. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's cool. So, so anyway,、uh, anyway, how how's the time? Yeah, I was about to say.、Uh, I think we're getting close to half an hour, or no, an hour.、Close、yeah. So. An hour. I think this is about our usual length of podcast. It started out about forty-five minutes, and we've had some episodes that have gone a hundred and twenty. And anyway, I, I love the randomness of our show and just letting it go as it does. But Matt, any last comments or things from you? 
no, just check out the Japan Wet podcast. I also have been doing some blogging on my website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Japan What. Uh, that's a W-U-T. Uh, and uh, I just released a blog entry yesterday about the lifting of the restrictions due to the COVID-19. And it focuses uh, not only on uh, freedom, but also supply chains and, and things like that. So I tried to offer a, an original take, and that's MatthewPMBigelow.com, or just search the Japan What podcast. should take you right there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to our show today. Um, look forward to seeing what you come up with down the line and reading that blog post. I saw you post it this morning. I uh, didn't have a chance to get to it yet, but I definitely plan to. And uh, maybe we'll be able to do a crosscast with you someday in the future as well. I was just going to say that. That'd be great. Come on the Japan Web podcast that. sometime. Yeah. Uh, let us know the date. And everybody who's watching us, uh, we are now broadcasting Mondays, <laughs> usually Mondays on YouTube. Uh, there was a little glitch when I was resetting the uh, premiere time for our podcast this past week. And uh, it actually ended up broadcasting on Tuesday. <laughs> But we are also broadcasting on Facebook as well, Mondays in the morning. And you can find us at Anything Goes Hokkaido, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook page. Also, Hokkaido at gmail.com if you have any questions or things you would like to see on the show. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the next episode. Junya and Delena, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Yes. Uh, have a good day. Bye now. As always, a huge thanks to everyone who makes this audio and video podcast possible. And thanks again to Matt Bigelow and the Japan What Podcast for being our special guest today. If you would like to be a business sponsor or patron, please check out our patreon.com, Anything Goes Hokkaido account, and know that we are here for you, Hokkaido and Japan. We want to support you in any way we can. So stay tuned for further episodes, and when you get to come visit us in Hokkaido, be sure to check out some of our favorite spots, and we hope to see you soon.